So being here with you this morning, being here not just this morning, but every Sunday morning for me is such a privilege to be here with each and every one of you as we unpack, as we study God's Word. As you know, we've been spending a lot of time uh, leading up to uh, the end of our series in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, we went chapter by chapter by chapter through the 24 uh, chapters of the book of Joshua, and there was just such a great time for us as a church. And we recently, last Sunday, cracked into our series in the book of Judges. Great message delivered by Pastor Rod, which carries many of the same themes from the message this morning. As I was praying about what to teach on this morning, uh, there's some things I want to remind you of and remind the church of. The Lord brought me back into Joshua chapter 24. Some of you may be saying, Garrett, what's the deal? I thought we had ended that series. I thought we had closed that off. One thing that's important to remember is for the teacher or for the preacher. The teacher or the preacher is simply the mailman. We are delivering the mail that God has for his people in the form of the message that he wants his people to hear. That's the first thing to remember. The second thing to remember is that the teacher or the preacher should diligently seek the Lord, as our teachers do in this church, about, Lord, what is it that you want me to expound upon from the text with regard to the application, with regard to what it is you want us to take away from the text this morning. And I want us to just keep that in mind. So if you ask the question, Garrett, what's up? Why are we going backwards? I would say, I just want to be obedient. And I want to deliver the mail that God has for his church this morning. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. We're going to be in verses 14 and verses 15. Only two verses today. And again, there's a lot of content within these two verses. So let's go back to the book of Joshua. All throughout the book of Joshua, we can see God's attributes on full display throughout story after story after story is God's mercy, his grace, his long-suffering, his patience, his holiness, his justice is being exercised over a people, more specifically being exercised over his people, the nation of Israel. But I want us to focus in on one of the attributes that I just shared about this morning, and it's an attribute related to God's faithfulness. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 says this, The words of the Lord are are pure, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Church, God's faithfulness is true, and he is the ultimate promise keeper. If we look back throughout the book of Joshua, we see time and time and time again, God is faithful to his promises that he makes to the nation of Israel. If we go back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, God makes a promise to Joshua. He says, every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now fast forward to Joshua chapter 24. We see that Joshua is standing in the very place called Shechem, delivering an appeal, addressing the nation, reminding them about God's faithfulness to his people. God has now given the nation of Israel 31 kingdoms. They've conquered 31 kings and their surrounding territories, and they see what God has done in and through the work 
of Joshua and in and through the work of God's providence. As we drill down today in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, we're going to hear the words spoken by the military general Joshua, the man appointed by God to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. We're going to hear two things from Joshua. We're going to hear first his final appeal. He's making a plea. He's imploring the people. And secondly, we're going to hear the declaration of a desperate man leading into the end of his life with regard to his position and with regard to the position of his family. And all of this to say that it's all based upon a choice. If you're here this morning and you are a Christ follower, there's strong application for us today from the text. If you're here this morning and you're an atheist, there is strong application for you within the text this morning And before we open up, let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you that we can be here in this place. Lord, we thank you for the rain that you give us. Thank you, Lord, that we we see how the water, the the rain that you give just saturates the earth and gives life and and breathes life. Thank you, Father, that uh, you see your children this morning. And like that example, we ask and pray that your word would saturate the depths of our hearts, that we would be completely Uh, filled this morning by your spirit. Lord, we stand before you this morning. God, I pray for strength this morning. I pray that you would give me the strength I need to continue to deliver the message this morning as you would have us to to me to deliver it. Lord, we love you. We bless you in your mighty, precious name. Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, and if I can ask the church to stand this morning, we're going to be reading together again only two verses. This is out of Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. And verse 15, I'm going to read the even verse, and again, if I can leave that with you for the odd verse, and we'll go ahead and we'll start. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, and it reads, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt serve the Lord. So now let's talk about the setting in Joshua chapter 24. So Joshua now is gathering all the people in this place called Shechem. Shechem is a significant place because it points to two things. It points to man's utter failure. It points to man's depravity, man's sinfulness, man's wickedness. But more importantly, it points to God's faithfulness. If we go back now to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 7, this speaks to the significance of this place called Shechem. It's in this place called Shechem. After the Lord calls Abram, his wife Sariah, Lot, out of a place called Haran, they enter into this place in Canaan. And the Lord appears to Abram and says, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he builds an altar to the Lord in this place who had appeared to him. Genesis 34 now speaks to the specifics with the depravity the wickedness, the sinfulness, the, the, the fallen nature of man. Shechem was a place in this very place that Jacob, if you recall the story from Jacob, his one and only daughter, Dinah, is violated in this location in Shechem. So then what happens is Jacob's two boys, Simeon and Levi, decide to put a, a brilliant plan together and avenge the death of, or the, the violation of their sister, and they slaughter all the men within the city. It's a horrendous act. It's a, it's a place that points to, again, the, the failure of man. 
our sinfulness, our wickedness, our depravity, our fallen nature. But most importantly, it points to the faithfulness of God. And this very place, this is the place that Joshua is addressing the nation. It's not by coincidence. It's not by chance. This is the very place. Now, in this place, all the elders, all the judges, all of the important people in the nation of Israel are reporting to hear Joshua speak to the nation. This includes the normal folk. This includes the babes. And in this place, this is where Joshua calls to remembrance the history of the nation of Israel. He goes back to what we talked about in Genesis chapter 12 about the specifics about how Abram and Lot and Sariah left their place of Haran and come to Canaan. He speaks also with regard to Joshua reminding the people about the descendants that are multiplied under Abram, under Abraham. Talks about the birth of his son Isaac and then Jacob settling in the land of Egypt. And then as you continue going through this, speaks about Egypt's, uh, the plagues that fall upon Egypt, the rising up of Moses, the rising up of Aaron, and speaks specifically about the nation and their exile as they leave the land of Egypt. Joshua is reminding the people also of the more recent events that have taken place. The kings that were defeated on the east side of the Jordan River and the kings that were defeated on the west side of the Jordan River. Appointed by God, Joshua, the leader of that nation, victory after victory after victory was won. And now verse 13, chapter 24, reads, I have given you a land, these are the words of the Lord, for which you did not labor, in cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, you eat of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, we'll continue and we'll start drilling down into verse 14. Verse 14 reads, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. So now Joshua is imploring the people. But notice the language that he uses. He says, Now therefore. His appeal is based upon calling to remembrance what God had done for the nation of Israel. He's intentional about following this sequence because as he follows the sequence, it points to what God has done for the people. He says three specific points within his appeal. He says, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the false gods. Put away the pagan gods which your fathers, Abram's fathers, served on the other side of the river and the gods that were served in Egypt. To fear the Lord means to reverence him. It means to honor him for who he is and for what he has done. To serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. To serve, the original Hebrew word that's used in the original text is a word called the bad. It means to honor the Lord with a service of worship. So the text is literally saying, serve the Lord with this type of service, with a service of worship, and do it with sincerity and with a genuine heart. Put away the gods which your fathers, uh, Abram's father served and follow after the one true living God. The nation was no longer to serve the pagan gods or the false gods of the nations before them. Joshua also implores the people not to serve the gods of the land of Egypt. There was an issue in the camp. And verse 23 also points to this. There were false gods among the people in the camp at this specific time. 
It's important to remember, too, that this is not the same generation that left Egypt. This is the new generation, anyone 20 years or younger, that was exiled at that point in time. This is included in that group. But everyone else, if you remember, died in the wilderness. Joshua and Caleb were the only two survivors, and anyone 20 years or younger was able to enter into the promised land. This is a new generation. There's another issue, but Joshua is addressing it, and it's important that he recalls to account what God has done for his people. Christian, this morning, it's important that you and I call to remembrance what God has done for us with regard to the gift, the free gift of our salvation. I once heard a pastor say, the most important thing that we could be doing on a day-to-day basis is preaching the gospel to ourselves on a day-to-day basis so that we can recall the things that God has done for us in giving us his one and only beloved son, Jesus, who reconciled us to the Father. Church, before we entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we were rebels, We were hostile towards God and towards the things of God. We hated God. Paul would say it writing to the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 3, that we were identified as children of wrath. We fully deserve the wrath of Almighty God, and we were not just in darkness. We were the darkness. But something changed. Something happened. What happens is God gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who entered into our earth, into our world, the second person of the, of the Holy Trinity. God wrapped in skin, God wrapped in flesh, God incarnate enters into our reality, into our world, and God manifests himself in and through the person of Jesus Christ, and he yields to the will of the Father. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was rejected. He was a man of sorrows, And the Bible says that he yielded to the will of the Father, knowing full well what would take place at the cross. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says that on that tree that he hung on, he bore our sins in his body on that tree so that you and I can be reconciled unto God. And the Bible says that what happened, what took place on this cross is the holy wrath of the Father was poured out upon his Son. And at that point in time, as the holy righteous wrath of God is poured out upon his son, God's justice is satisfied. God's justice is appeased. And Jesus repeats those words, it is finished, indicating that it had been paid in full. And that we have have the opportunity then to be reconciled unto God. Death, hell had been defeated by what took place. And then the Bible says... That Jesus was buried, he was taken off that tree, and he was placed in Joseph's tomb. And on the third day, God's Spirit raised him from the dead, and he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God Almighty, interceding on behalf of your sins and my sins as our high priest. Amen. And one of the things to think about is this, is as you and I make a decision when we repent and we believe the gospel, what takes place at that point in time, your position changes. You transition from a position of wrath, a child of wrath, a rebel, a hostile person towards God, a hater of God, and the Bible says that you are justified. That means that you, it's a legal term in the original Greek, you are declared as righteous by God, not because of how much we give, 
not because of how much good we do, not because of how much I want to love people. I am justified because of who I am in and through Christ. It's important that we don't miss that. It's so important. And he doesn't just call us justified, church. He treats us this way. He treats us this way. It's a blessing. It's the biggest blessing that I can even begin to imagine and try to process in my mind, in my finite mind, the beauty of that truth. That is what we are called to call to remembrance, church. When I talked about the preaching of the gospel to ourselves daily, it's not that I'm out front on a soapbox preaching to myself on a morning basis. It's every morning I get up, Lord, you love me that much. You love me that much. And you call me justified? What a gift. What a true gift that is. And Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now Christian, you and I have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make this morning. And not just this morning, but daily. Jesus said to his disciples, you must deny yourself. If you want to be my followers, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And this has to happen daily. This is a daily process, church. It's a daily thing for me. Garrett Castro has to die to himself, take up his cross and follow after Christ. I have to die to my flesh. I have to die to the temptations, the, the, the pullings of the, of the tides of the culture. Those things have to die. And I have to follow after my king. But it's important that we come to this, this crossroad now. What do we do now? Will we serve God in sincerity and in truth? And will we leave behind the false gods? Will we leave behind the idols of the nation, of, of, the, of the surrounding culture? We talked about this earlier. Just because we're the church does not mean that we are exempt from things coming into the camp and I mean this when I talk about the church in America corporately. It's important that we understand what are we going to do now? Will we follow after Christ wholeheartedly? We have a choice to make. And my choice is that my prayer is that we would make the right choice. When I was a little boy, I grew up at Calvary Chapel Packing House. Little guy running around in the playground. I met my wife there. We were nine years old at that time. We didn't get married when I was nine, but later in life... <laughs> Nine years old, I met my little, my little wife on the playground, and we had no idea what the Lord would do in terms of bringing this whole thing full circle. When I was about eight or nine years old, I remember sitting in that avocado green pew at Calvary Chapel Packing House and giving my heart to Jesus, repenting of my sin as a little boy and believing the gospel. And I remember sitting there at that point in time, and I remember as a little boy, our home was a... Was a, was a my father, my mother served the Lord. They discipled us. We had Saturday mornings, man. We'd wake up, you grab your OJ and your coffee and your pancakes, and it was Bible study time. This was part of what we did as a family. My father was a man of God. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. He had a radical transformation um, as he entered into a relationship with Christ. But there was something that within our family was hard. My father was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer when he was... Uh, before I was born, and he fought for 16 years with this cancer. And I remember as a little boy, my dad would come and he'd tuck me in at night, and he'd kiss my cheek with his big mustache. And I remember tucking me in at night, and he'd pray over me. And I remember he'd leave the room, and I would begin weeping. I knew my dad was sick, and he was regressing rapidly. And I remember going through this, and I remember weeping because I would pray to the Lord, Lord, please save my dad. 
please heal my father. Please take away this sickness in his body. We want, I'm terrified of the thought of being a little boy and growing up without a dad, a godly leader, a godly man. I remember being on the soccer field at Calvary Chapel Packing House and Bill Johnson came running full speed from that office, that administrative office with tears in his eyes. And he hugs me, says, Garrett, you have to go home. Your dad's not doing well. And it's important that you're there. I remember I enter into the house at 1322 College Avenue and the place is packed out. Friends, church family, 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 Redlin swim team family, everyone's there. And I, I usher my way into the middle of the room where he's on a hospice bed and the cancer had just ravaged his body. He had no strength. He was unresponsive. And I remember holding his delicate hand and I remember watching my dad draw his last breath. And I remember... Before he drew his last breath, he puts his hands up in the air, both, both hands, arms up in the air, and you could hear a pin drop in that room. My father entered into the presence of Christ on that day, on September uh, 1997. As a little boy, as a family, we were absolutely devastated. We tried to figure it out. How do you, how do, you do life without the pillar of the home? How do you do life without your hero, your role model? Well, what happens is I remember my mom remarries a great man a few years after. His name's Dave. He was a beast of a man. He was six foot two, six foot three, 280 pounds. He worked for the sheriff's department. He was a born-again Christian. He loved the Lord. I've never seen such a manly man cry so hard at church on Sunday morning. He loved Christ. And I remember Dave was on a Harley. He loved Harleys. He was driving down the Cajon Pass, and he got stung by a bee on his neck. And he went into anaphylactic shock laid his bike down on the freeway, shattered his leg, shattered his arm. He was just mangled, but he survived the wreck. And he was sent over to Arrowhead Hospital. I remember a few days after being at work and my boss comes running over to me and same look that Bill Johnson had in his face. And he says, Garrett, you got to take this phone call, man. And so I pick up the phone and it's my mom's best friend. And she says, Garrett, Dave just died. In my whole world, the same, the same, you kind of relive that again. I remember driving to the hospital. I get to the hospital, and Dave is on that gurney, blue, lifeless. David passed away. And I remember holding his hand and talking to him as if he was still there. I was in a state of utter shock. I couldn't believe what was happening. The funeral comes, and I remember I was so angry. I was angry at the Lord. Lord, why? You knew how much I needed my dad. You knew how much I needed this other man who I called a dad. How is it that you could take two fathers away from me, the men that I needed in my life, the men that that helped raise me up? Lord, how could you do this? I remember I had my Bible when I came home after the funeral, and I took it, and I was reading, and I shut it, and I tossed it to the side, and I said, Lord, for now, I'm done. And I began going down my prodigal journey, my, my prodigal road. I would binge drink. I would smoke marijuana. I would do drugs. I would do anything I could to suppress the pain. This is a young high school student and college student. I would do anything I could to try to numb the, the pain with that temporary numbing agent, but it only got worse. I began chasing after the gods of the culture, after substance the God of self, the God of greed, the God of money, all those things I began chasing after. And I will tell you this this morning, church, they left me empty. And I'm here to tell you a living testament that the idols of the culture will leave us completely 
robbed of the purpose and the plan that God has for our lives as his children. I'm a living testament, a miracle to God's restoration in the life of a boy who is angry. And as I'm going down this steep trajectory, the Lord lifts this prodigal child's face out of the pig trough, out of the pig slop, and reminds me, son, this is not what I had in store for you. This is not what I had in pl- for part of your plan. And the Lord brings that young, same nine-year-old girl that I met on the playground, fast forward 20 years now, back into my life, and the Lord used Kay to lead me back to him. And the Lord restores me. Amen. And it's incredible how the Lord uses those people in our lives to bring us back to him. Non-Christian, if you're here this morning, and I say this with sensitivity, I say this with love, what God do you serve? Is it the God of self? Is it the God of money? Is it the idol of the career? What God is it that you serve? I'm here to tell you that the brokenness and the emptiness within the life of this young boy and young adult I'm here to tell you that those things have nothing for you. There is a void, there is a vacuum, there is a blank space within the heart of every human. And the only thing that can fill that vacuum is Christ. That is it, and Christ alone. So I want to encourage you with that this morning. To the atheist, you heard the message of the gospel shared just minutes ago. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead... We will be saved. Let's continue on in verse 15, the last verse. And it reads, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice Joshua's appeal almost takes on a rhetorical tone. If you think it's evil, go serve the other gods. Joshua almost kind of hints of sarcasm within this, but Joshua, in all seriousness, says, now is the time. Now is the time to choose, not tomorrow, not next month, not when it's convenient. Now is the time to choose. Notice this text is so important. There's strong tones of urgency. This is a man who is nearing the final lap of his life, and he desires that this nation would follow full-heartedly after the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Joshua then states in verse 15, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice that Joshua, regardless of what the culture says, regardless of the popular vote, he announces his position, and he also states the position of his family. Christian men this morning, If you're an uncle, if you're a father, Christian men uh, and husbands, if you're an uncle, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a stepfather, you're a granddaughter, a, a grandfather, this is so important. Joshua was not only a strong leader to the nation, he was a strong leader within the four walls of his tent or his home. Christian men, you and I have been tasked with a heavy, heavy privilege. It's a heavy responsibility. It's really a holy calling. It's a divine privilege. And what has been entrusted to us, we are fully accountable unto God for. 
It's important that we don't forget that, man. Our, our wives and our children are looking to us to lead them as spiritual leaders within the homes. Man, this is so important, and Scripture points to this. This is ordained by God. This is how God intended it to be. This isn't man-made, a man-made institution. This is how God ordained it to be, and Scripture speaks to this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it reads, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 5, verse 22, with regard to leading our wives, reads, Wives, submit to your own husbands and to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. With regard to leading our wives, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. As leaders, as spiritual men, you and I take on what's called a shepherding role. This shepherding role takes place within our home. It takes place in many other places, but it starts at home. Men, we are called to protect. We're called to love. We're called to encourage. We're called to equip our children and our wives. But the most important thing is that there's something that comes first. Men, you and I have to be intentional. We have to prioritize the daily reading of Scripture. If we don't, men, we will become dull, spiritually dull. I'm a, and, I will, and I will say objectively that is true. It's happened in my life and the lives of many other men. If we do not stay up on the reading of Scripture daily, we become spiritually dull. We're also called to disciple our children. But before any of that takes place, men, the most important thing to think about is our relationship, our vertical relationship with the Lord. As we spend time in the word, what takes place as you begin growing more and more in conformity to Christ in and through the work of his spirit, fruit is then produced in your life. The fruit that's produced within the four walls of our home is the fruit that our family will see. That, fa- that fruit that's produced within our four walls of our home is the fruit that our family, we want our families to follow after. We want our, ultimately our families to follow after Christ. That is the foundation. That is the first step. We cannot lead effectively as men in the capacity that God's called us to lead within if we are not prioritizing this within our own lives. Our prayer time, our communion time, our fellowship time with the Lord, after that, then we have the ability to lead the way that God has called us to lead. Does that make sense? It has to come first. Joshua said it. But I'll serve the Lord. That came first. And for me and my family. The second step, men, is this. is men, we are called to be protectors. We're called to lead our children in the ways of the Lord. And this is the thing, too, men. It's important to remember. If we forsake this duty, if we abandon this responsibility, if we forego this, the culture will do it for us. And this hurts me to say this, and I, when I say this, I need to be careful, but it's according to what even statistics are saying right now in the church in America, the culture already has for many. It's happening within the indoctrination of what's taking place in many of our public institutions, many of our public schools. I know, I know Christians in this church right now that are teachers, and they're on the front lines 
And it pains them to see what's happening in the schools right now. And it's happening in the institutional, in the university level too. I'm a testament of it. I was a byproduct of it when I was on my prodigal road. And you know what it did for me? It increased my rage and my animosity and my hatred towards God. That was what we were being fed in the university. There's even Bible colleges now to this day that are adopting some of these same doctrinal flaws. And it's incredible to think about, but this is the thing, is that we as men, there has never been a greater time than right now to step into and to step up as men, as God's called us to, because as the divide grows greater between light and darkness, men, we have to be there. We have to be there. And to the wives, and and one last thing, I want to encourage you with this. Many of the men here this morning, you're tired, you're fatigued, you're stretched, your bandwidth man is like maxed out beyond all measure as you're trying to do what you can to be there for your wife, to be present in your marriage, to be there for your, your teams at work, to be there for your children. And men, this is all happening while hell itself rages against you and your families, in your marriages, and your children, and your homes. It is tough, and I know this. But I want to encourage you with the same words that were spoken by God to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Secondly, men, you have been equipped with God's spirit. You've been equipped with everything that you need to be empowered by God's spirit to do what, you call, what you've been called to do and ordained to do. And praise God for that. To the wives, single moms. I know my mom was a single mom for years. And it's hard. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, well, I don't feel like I'm being led in that capacity. Women, wives, be a Deborah. Take up that torch and lead your troops, which are your children, into the battlefield as all hell wages war against you and your homes and your families. Pick up that torch and lead into the battlefield knowing that, you're, that God is for you and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It's so important. And to the young people today, you're not married yet. You don't have children yet. I want to encourage you with this. Continue to grow in, in holiness, walk in purity, continue to ready yourself so when the Lord brings that young lady into your life or that young man into your life, you're ready and you're equipped for the role that has been deemed for you by the Lord, ordained by the Lord for you. I want to call the, the band up if we can as we, get clo- as we get close to wrapping up this morning. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Those are the words of a man nearing the end of his life, nearing the end of his, of his, of his life, his journey there. And I pray that our hearts, like Joshua's, would be undivided towards the things of Christ. This morning you heard a plea, an appeal from the man Joshua, the leader Joshua. But there was also a plea and also appeal to the church this morning. The body of Christ this morning, there was also a plea and appeal made to the atheists this morning. And it's important that it, we remember it all comes down to this church. It all comes down to a choice. And this is a choice that we have to make on a daily basis. Will we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after Christ? And secondly, I want to encourage you with this. I pray that for us as a body, 
in Cala Mesa, California, and the church abroad, the church in America corporately, that we would carry a heart that is undivided for Christ and the things of Christ. Let me pray. Lord, we love you so much. I thank you, Father, that this is the type of heart that you want us to carry, a heart that is undivided towards you and towards the things of you. Jesus, we look at our lives and we see that it is by your grace and your faithfulness and your mercy that we are able to be here today. Your word says that through your mercies, we're not consumed because your compassions fail not. They are new every morning right now. Those mercies moment by moment are being exercised upon us. Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to live in light of that. We love you, Lord. We give you this time in your mighty, precious name, Christ. Amen.